Well, good evening. How are we doing? That was a little weak. I don't know how you do it here in Chandler, but in Scottsdale, people talk back to me. So how are we doing? Yeah, it's great. So uh, I'm Aaron, and I'm the campus pastor at Scottsdale. And indulge me for a second if you're from that area. Just give a little shout out to some Scottsdale family. Do it right now. Come on, I'm looking right at you. Yeah. Anybody from Santan here tonight? Santanians, is that how you say that? Yeah, we've got a few. Okay, now anybody from Chandler, give it up, yeah. You have about 20 years on us, so give us a little bit of grace. Uh, but uh, we're excited to be here with you tonight. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 14. And we uh, left this, and by we, I mean you and Lynn. Uh, Pastor Lynn left this at a pretty interesting moment in the conversation in Romans chapter uh, 14. Um, we opened the discussion on some matters of uh, the gray areas of life. Uh, Paul introduces the conversation centered around a couple of things. The first was uh, what you eat and then a special day of the week. And he introduces that in Romans 14 and really that opens up the gamut for the discussion in the modern church day really for us on uh, those gray areas that are non-essential uh, for a person to come to faith in Christ, uh, but they are things that we are open to have a little bit of disagreement on. And and so that entered into an interesting discussion. So when you guys listed out some of these gray areas uh, last week, so if you weren't here, then you might not know what we're doing here. Uh, but if you were, uh, bring us up to speed. What are some of those gray areas that you talked about uh, last week? And we don't need runners, just holler them out at me. Dancing. Dancing. I'm okay. I'm not a good speller, so music, gambling, gambling. Uh, what was the other one? Drinking? Okay. Yoga. I heard about that one. So, did somebody say fast food? Oh, tattoos. Tats. Uh, something was over here. Movies. Okay. Was somebody itching to say one that didn't get to say one last week? Holiday traditions. Holiday trad, okay. Uh, astrology, are you really trying to mess me up with spelling? Who said that? Where are you? <laughs> oh, here we go. You get that, right? <laughs> Is that good? All right, uh, what else? Huh? Modesty. Modesty, and I, did, did you say pills? Apparel? I'm also deaf, apparently. Uh, you, somebody over here said modesty. What was the back? Pass it forward. Oh, okay, clothes. Sorry. Wow. So for the sake of my own um, heart, let's not go any further because I can't spell or hear. Uh, so interesting, uh, these areas. Um, and and what, what's... What's so interesting about these is that in every one of these areas, and there's probably a million more, if we were to just sit here all night long and start talking about these areas, uh, you would be able to find differing opinions and levels of conviction all across the body of Christ from all of history until now and until Jesus comes back, there are going to be so many differing uh, opinions on these. Uh, what is gray? What's black? What's white? It's clear for me. It's not clear for you. Why is it not clear for you? And what Paul was getting at in that discussion last week was we need to be very, 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 very careful um, about those who have, what I would say, been in the faith or seasoned uh, for a long time, have been a Christian for a long time, 
um, and then those who are new believers because a new believer is not going to have the same level of conviction that you might have over a particular issue like this that uh, you've been in the faith for 25, 30 years and they've been in the faith for 25, 35 minutes and so they might have a tendency to struggle differently and what Paul says is that we have a tendency to pass judgment upon these people uh, and what that means is we are uh, very, very, very quick to do this and to point fingers and to look down our noses at people who don't struggle with things that we struggle with or why don't you feel this way? Why aren't you convicted about this? Or uh, I'm convicted about this and you should be where I'm at but I'm here to tell you that we are all on, a, on the same journey of following Jesus but we're at different points on that journey together. And so what we need to have a discussion about today is what in the world do we do with these gray areas? Because the reality is, is that what Paul is going to show us and what Jesus shows us in the gospels is that we got to get along with one another. You should look at somebody next to you and say, I got to get along with you. And the person you don't like as much, tell them on the other side, I got to get along with you too. We got to get along with one another. And so this whole conversation centers around believers uh, with the mature and the immature, not as immature in a negative sense. You just haven't been in the faith as long. It's from the person who is seasoned to the person who is new, uh, from the uh, veteran in the faith to the picture uh, in this way, the toddler in the faith. And how in the world do we navigate living in community with one another when we have all of these gray areas where we have opinions and conviction levels uh, that are different? How in the world do we actually even uh, get along with one another? Now, getting along with one another in family uh, isn't easy. Somebody say amen, right? There are six Swinsons that live in my house, okay? And, um, and there is not a day that goes by that I don't hear Judah, which is our oldest boy, but still three years old. Judah, get out of our room. And that's my two older daughters. And then I don't want to watch that, Daddy. I want to watch Ocknots. And oh, I don't care if you want to watch Ocknots or Barney or whatever. Don't argue with me. If I'm putting it on, that's what we're watching. Who's with me on that? Don't leave me up here. So then, um, and then we get things like, well, uh, guys or family, kids, it's time to go clean your room. Well, I don't want to clean my room. I didn't ask you if you wanted to. This wasn't a suggestion box. This is a dictatorship and you got to go do this right now. Well, Why? For real? Are we having this discussion right now? It's because I said arguments all the time in our house. Does anybody else have that? Maybe you don't have kids at home and you are like, thank God I don't have that anymore with my kids. Man, the, it's not easy to get along with people that you're close to. Have you noticed that? It's not easy to do that. But see, uh, what God's call for us in the church and as believers is our, we are uh, to get along uh, with one another. Um, and there's no difference in the context of the church. We bicker, we fight, we argue over some things that uh, honestly matter, what I would call closed hand things, and then we argue over things that are open-handed that honestly at the end of the day doesn't make you saved or unsaved. It doesn't, uh, you know, they're non-essential issues. And truth be told, the gray areas that Paul's talking about in Romans 14 and some of these that we've mentioned here uh, are non-essential issues. But how do we deal with these things? Uh, because if we aren't careful in our disagreement, and uh, you just got to picture this, so Help me and picture this, this is really fun. If we aren't careful, what you and I will end up doing is we're gonna get into this deal with mature believer and immature believer and we're gonna go strap on floaties and go play in the kiddie pool and just splashing around. Could you see an adult doing that at a pool, neighborhood pool? How weird would you think that adult was? If they were splashing around, like playing with other adults, in the floaties with other, that is weird. You would get your kids 10 miles away from them. You wouldn't want anything to do with them. And God's call for you and for me is to take off the floaties on the non-essential issues and jump into the deep end of things that matter and let's go after those things. Let's not be adults splashing around in kiddie pools for the rest of our lives. Let's move on to the deep things of the faith and run as far and as fast as we can into those things. You with me? All right, good. So let's look here and jump in right here. Now, what I love is Paul turns his heart uh, as a pastor. 
uh, and he goes right to the heart of the church at Rome. These are new believers in Rome, okay? And they're coming from all different walks of life and some are, are former Pharisees and some are uh, former deep into Judaism, some are uh, former pagans and they're all coming and uh, former uh, with the uh, worshiping Greek gods. They're all coming from different backgrounds, different idiosyncrasies, different families of origin, different levels of conviction and they're all bringing all of that junk into this new world of church and they've got all this stuff going on and Paul's like no 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 no. we got it we got to get along with one another and so he goes to the heart of the church at Rome and this is what he says are you with me verse 13 here we go Therefore, now, let me stop there. Therefore is a really awesome word because what Paul is saying with this word therefore is he's saying in light of all that we've discussed, what have we discussed? What you discussed last week. In light of all of the verses previously, in light of what we now know, consequently, therefore, we must live differently as believers in this community. We must begin to think differently about the things I'm about to to unpack. Now, do y'all remember what Paul said in Romans 12, 2? Somebody open that up real quick, runner, and read it. Romans 12, 2, two, like a couple of pages over. Who's got their hand up? And let's read it. First one up, let's go. All right, hold on, we got one right here. All right, go for it. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, all right, all right. So what, 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 uh, what Paul is, is saying in even the transition of the word, therefore, he's saying that we now, in light of what we've learned, we have to change the way that we think. If the Holy Spirit dwells within you, your mind has been renewed. Matter of fact, he even goes on in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says that our inner self is being renewed day by day. So when Paul's making that flip just in the word therefore, he's telling you and he's telling me, we gotta begin to think differently. We gotta begin to grow into a new direction. So uh, let me ask you this question and this is open for uh, discussion here for a second. How do we grow as believers? Go for it. You said read the Bible, what else? Testing of your faith, faith. going through things. What else? Say that again. Community. Community. What else? Surrender daily. Surrender daily. What else? Pray. Pray. Did I hear that? Okay. What else? Serve. Serve. Awesome. What else? Accountable. Accountable. That's great. For your prayers. That's good. What else? Give. Tithe. That's right. Okay. So... There's a million different things that we can do to grow as believers. Would you not agree? Now, here at Cornerstone, we don't believe we got the corner on the market on how we grow, uh, but we've got a a philosophy that we do uh, and we really hammer it hard at our campuses uh, and it's called three to B. Have you heard of that before? You've heard of three to B. It's three things that you can do to grow in your relationship to become more like God. What are those things? It's worship, commit, which, listen, if you're here on a Tuesday night going through verse by verse through Romans, you're probably coming on Sunday mornings, right? Okay, that's just the fact of the matter. Uh, But commit to being a part of worship. Why is that important? Why is committing to being a part of worship important as far as the context of growing? Anybody? Okay. We were made to worship him. There you go. That's great. Okay. So something unbelievably supernatural happens when God's children come together as a family, as one. Now I recognize that we have multiple campuses and multiple services at those campuses, but we're still a family. You get that? We're still a family and so when we gather together, something supernatural begins to happen and you can encourage one another, you lift each other up. Listen, I lead a life group on Sunday mornings that feels like a small church but we're a small church so we don't call it a small church and we call it a life group. Are you with me? All right, cool. So, uh, and, uh, and men, when we get together in that group like that, man, there is something so cool and encouraging in being with those people. 
When you gather as God's people, when we do that, something supernatural happens, your soul is stirred and you're encouraged and when you begin to worship God, something supernatural happens there. Uh, Your heart and the emotions that God put in you before the foundation of the world, when he put that inside of a human being, worship is that thing that connects you to the heart and the emotion and the, uh, of God and his essence and who he is. And then when you sing about him and you sing songs to him, something stirs your soul and opens your heart. And then somebody comes up here on this platform and opens God's word. And then when God's word is proclaimed to your heart that is already open and already stirred, God begins to renew your mind and change the way that you think about what you're in and the situation that you're living in and you begin to what's the word it rhymes with stow it's what you begin to grow you begin to grow so that's why being at worship is important secondly uh worship is not uh, three to be is worship but it's also growing it's what i already mentioned about being in a life group a bible study a ladies group men's group being a part of the mind listen healthy things grow let's get back to that guy who was in the kiddie pool right healthy or unhealthy unhealthy and crazy healthy things grow and so uh, if 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 you're at a season in your life maybe where you're not growing you need to ask yourself the question is my relationship with God healthy and so how do we get that healthy well you get plugged into community into a life group into an environment like this you connect it with another dude if you're a dude another lady if you're a lady and you read God's word together I'm you know I'm hanging out with this guy that goes to our campus and we're doing that we're reading God's word together and we're meeting and we're talking about what God's gonna what God showed us and we're growing in that that's something healthy and that helps you grow in your relationship with another believer but also in your relationship uh, with your heavenly father that's super important determine early to give yourself to that lastly out of all of those things when we're talking about growing, uh, out of all of those things comes naturally and simply service. You want to give yourself to the God who is growing you in every way that you can. Now, that's not the only way that you can grow in your relationship with God, but I think that's a pretty awesome way to do it, and it's super simple, and it's easy to remember, right? And so uh, Paul is saying that something supernatural happens uh, when you allow your mind to be transformed and to be renewed and you change the way that you think. Something so cool happens. Um, You mature. When you grow, you mature. There are parts of the scripture where Paul will say that you, uh, when you thought like a child, you reasoned like a child, but now you're not that. You're not drinking the milk. My son, my youngest son's gonna turn a year old and we're weaning him off of the formula, praise God, because it's so expensive. And we wanna move that kid off of that formula and get that boy on solid food because that's better for us and it's better for him. And really that's what he's saying is as you mature and grow, uh, you're growing and you're changing and you're not messing with the things you used to mess with. You're not giving yourself to the things that you used to give yourself to, you're maturing. And out of that maturity, you say crazy things like this. The very next part, he says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Somebody who isn't growing in their faith probably doesn't say anything like that. Are you with me? Somebody who is like just laissez-faire with their relationship with God's, I'm gonna do my thing, man, get off my back. Why are you talking so down? I'm not, that's what somebody who, but somebody who's growing in their faith and maturing in their relationship uh, with God says things like, uh, hey, let's not pass judgment on one another. And you know what this is. This is that critical eye, that judgmental spirit. It's the thing that you feel when you know you're receiving it. Have you ever been on the receiving end of, uh, of somebody's judgment? We're not gonna pass the microphone around, I promise. But uh, have you ever been on the giving end of that kind of judgment? where you've looked down your nose and pointed your finger at someone? 
And Paul is saying that as we grow in our faith, as we're growing and maturing in our relationship with God, we say things like, you know what? I'm no longer, I'm gonna take the energy away from looking down the nose of people who might not have the same level of conviction about certain issues that I do. I'm, not, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm not gonna mess with looking down my nose and being judgment and passing judgment on them. I'm going to resolve, I'm going to decide. Mature people decide. Babies don't decide to do jack squat except for eat, sleep, and you know what. And they don't even decide. That, that happens intuitively. Mature people, grown people, they decide. They resolve in their spirit that I'm not going to do anything to cause my brother or my sister to lead their life towards sin. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to, as a matter of fact, I'm going to refuse to do it. Amen. So we are going to resolve, this is Paul's getting at, that we will be about our family's progress and that we aren't the Holy Spirit police dealing conviction as a commodity. That's God's job, not yours or mine. And so we might have a brother or sister that has a different level of conviction on drinking or gambling or tattoos or holiday traditions or R-rated movies, unless they're about Jesus, then we can go see those. Uh, but... Uh, we might have different levels of conviction, but what we're gonna be about is not casting or passing judgment upon them. We're gonna be about, and as we'll see in a minute, building them up. And we're gonna be about maturing in this. So Paul then gives where he's at personally. Don't you ever wonder where the preacher's at personally? Like, well, where do you sit with this? Well, I'm not gonna tell you where I sit with this. I'm gonna tell you where Paul sits with this. Verse 14, because it really doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God's word says. And so verse 14, he says, I know uh, and am persuaded, or he's, that means convinced, in the Lord Jesus. Uh, so he didn't arrive at this on his own. And you can just see that. He's like, I didn't make this up. I didn't just wake up this morning and feel this way. I didn't wake up on that side of the bed. I've been persuaded by my relationship with Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Now, this is Paul, like the Pharisee of all Pharisees. Like if there was a rule about the diet, he would have been on it. If there was a rule about what day is the most important day, he would have been on it. He was letter of the law, you're not following it, smacking you down in the hallway of the church because you're not doing it kind of guy. And you know what Paul says? Well, first of all, I'm not that guy anymore. God's changed my heart. Have you been in the faith long enough, some of you, to where you're like, I used to be not convicted about that, whatever that is. And then as I've grown in my relationship with God, he's revealed new things to me through his word. And now I couldn't touch that, whatever that is, with a 10-foot pole. Anybody been there? Okay, you just proved Romans 14. You just, that's it right there. That we're growing in maturity and as we grow in maturity, things change. And Paul's saying, I've changed. I'm different. I've learned that God is far less concerned. This will be good for some of us tonight. God is far less concerned about the external things in our lives and way more concerned about the internal matters of our heart. You see, many of us have given our lives to modifying our behaviors. Man, if I just stop doing that thing, which is probably true, you should stop doing that. But if I just make myself stop doing that, if I will myself to stop doing that, then everything's gonna be okay. But the reality of the matter is, is that's not true. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, he gave this whole long spiel about uh, uh, um, food sacrifice to idols. And people felt like, which also in Romans 14, felt like if you did that, if you ate that food, then, uh, then that would defile you as a person. Listen, if that's filet mignon, I'm eating that bad boy, okay? So Jesus says, hey, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. It's not what you put on... It's not something on the outside that you put on the inside that makes you defiled. It's what's on the inside that comes on the outside 
that's defiled. So you've got a heart issue, man. It's not about the filet that you ate that was sacrificed to idols. That's awesome. Jesus just gave us licensed to be meat carnivores. If you're a vegan, that's okay. It's great. My sister was that for a while. Now she eats meat. But um, <laughs> where I'm from, you probably can't survive very long not being a meat eater, okay? Uh, but um, so, and it's cool. If you, whatever, sidetrack, totally sidetrack. But Jesus is getting at that he's way more concerned about what's your heart. And your heart is what you need to surrender to Christ. Who cares about the food? Who cares about the day of the week, Paul's saying to the Romans. He's saying, you gotta get on your heart and your heart needs to be surrendered. And when your heart is surrendered, guess what happens? This is the beautiful part. Your behavior changes. Whoa. The moment that I received that from God years ago changed everything for me. Because then I change because of who I am. I am God's son. And his spirit dwells within me. And as God's child with, my, with his last name on, the, on my life and his seal of approval on my life, I don't have to do those things anymore. I'm a brand new creation, new in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. I have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. That is who I am in Christ and that is who you are in Christ. So our change comes from our position being in Christ and our identity and who we are and then we begin to think differently and live differently with those other people who aren't where we are. I mean, this is good preaching. I don't know if this is good listening, but this is good preaching for me because I'm getting more out of it than you are. So, why is it that we lean so heavily on changing our behavior and thinking that changes everything? Why do we do that? Give me some answers. Why do we focus so much on the external? Yes, sir. Can you give that to me in two sentences with that microphone in your hand? Because I want everybody to hear that. Um, I think that, well, that's loud. All right, I like it. Um, you know, I think, um, I feel like he's disappointed because I can't stop, like I'm a smoker, and I feel like God's not happy with me because I smoke, uh, and I try and try to quit, and every time it's like an up and down battle. I know you said two sentences, but I'm done. No, you're great. I just feel like he's disappointed, which makes it a little bit harder. Okay, so what was your name? Festus. Say it again. Festus. Festus? Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, so hold off all questions for a second. Let me talk to Festus. You guys just get to listen in, okay? <laughs> so number one, um, to grab a microphone and to say that kind of statement in a microphone in a room of a couple hundred people, that vulnerability and honesty right there is exactly what God's looking for. I'm going to put you on the spot, okay? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I have, absolutely. You, you have done that. Yes. So you're trusting in him right now? Yes, I am. Amen. Okay, so I can talk to you a little differently now. We're brothers. Okay, so if you've done that, and I've done that, the Bible tells us, and we're going to get to this if we even get it there, um, that when you and I put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we receive the righteousness of God. It's the imputed righteousness of God. Now, the picture of that, and just, again, the picture of that is surgery. And so God, at the moment you accepted Christ, this is ridiculous, okay? I can't even make, I can't wrap my mind fully around it, but God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, surgically opened your heart and imputed all the goodness, all the greatness, all the glory that is Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, dog tired and totally hungry because he was fasting and resisted the devil 40 time, uh, for over 40 days. It could have been hundreds of temptations, thousands of temptations. We don't know them all. We know only a select few of those. And the Bible tells us that he defeated those temptations by the word of God. The word of God has power over our lives. We don't worship the word of God, but we worship the God of the word. 
And so you go to God's word and you run to his word. And let me tell you this, the Bible tells us that greater is he that is in me than the one that is in the world. And so each time a temptation comes your way, each time something that you're struggling with is like a roadblock to your life, what you do is you bulldoze that with the roadblock, that roadblock with the word of God and community with other believers who hold you accountable. And you can walk through that. Is it easy? No, it is insanely difficult. But the Bible tells us that that is producing endurance and it's producing perseverance in your heart so that you will be strong in Christ. You can do it, buddy. You can do it. All right. All right. Anybody else? All right. Sorry. Okay, go for it. Would you please repeat the question? <laughs> That's good. All right. Uh, why is it that we lean so heavily on changing our behavior, thinking that that's gonna actually change everything. Because we wanna fit in and be approved of by others. Okay, so we wanna fit in. I can believe that. I can believe that. We're, we are uh, herd mentality people. Very few of us really stand out or desire to stand out. Uh, but uh, that's a good one, I appreciate that one. There's 55 other hands out here, so you guys just got to be really patient, okay? Right over here in the back, he's been holding his hand here. Okay, um, I guess maybe you change behaviors because the Bible tells you not to do them, and it's just, I mean, it's easy to turn one thing every now and then. No, you're right. Can I say one thing? I love your beard, first of all. Uh, number two, you are right. The Bible does say not to do certain things. It's like my kids, when I tell them, don't talk back. This is not negotiating. I'm not asking for a change of heart. I actually am. But uh, I, I know that this is going to take repeated times. Don't do it. And so the Bible does say that. The Bible does say certain things. Don't do it. So what do you do about those things? You don't do them. How's that for a theological answer? Uh, but God is looking for a change of heart in that because when our hearts change, uh, then those behaviors will naturally change. Yes, sir, you got the microphone. Yeah, um, James 1.17 or 2.17, I'm yeah. not sure what the specific reference is, but it says that faith without application is a dead faith, so that's kind of what I said earlier, being accountable for your prayers. You can't pray on something and then take, not take a measurable effort in your daily tangible life for and sure. expect it to change. So for me, in reference to what she specifically said, that just James 1 or 2.17 popped into my head, faith without application no, you're is right. a dead faith. You got to work at it and do something. Well, and he goes on to say in James that if you were to uh, look into the mirror mm -hmm. and you know that you got, well, I mean, this is total paraphrase, uh, but if you look in the mirror and you know something's jacked up on your face and then you walk away thinking everything's okay, right. you're messed up. Yeah, exactly. That is the Aaron paraphrase, by the way. Uh, but if you look into the mirror of God's word and you know that's something you need to do, you surrender your heart to that thing. Doesn't mean you're gonna automatically change that behavior, but it's all about your heart internal motive. Uh, right here, yes. Two, two things. First, in an affirmation of what the young lady just said, and then also as a reflection, and it's ironic you just used the word mirror, I just saw the mirror image of what Paul is telling us not to do when we're on the receiving end and we're the one that is trying to give up something, we think that everyone else is looking and we begin to do it to seek mm. their approval more than God's approval often. Wow. That's a great point. Great point. Let's get a couple more here. I, let's get two over here, right here. I got you. I, I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm landing the plane right here. Our, our external actions are measurable by other people while our heart attitude is only measurable by God. Oh, man, isn't that true? God bless Facebook. JK. All right. Oh, right here. Sorry. Is it better to act your way into a new way of thinking or think your way into a new way of acting? Well, I can give you the answer. You don't want me to answer? I mean, I've got a thought, but I, I, I mean, thank you. I don't want to answer that. I want to move on. <laughs> can we move on? Are we good? Or do you really want me to answer? Because I can, I can take a stab at it here. Because I think really what it, it kind of boils down to that, that uh, what you said, I think that's so true that our behavior is like a highlight reel. Uh, 
for the world to see and our heart is the behind the scenes that only God sees and we see. And so we have a tendency to judge uh, that and weigh success or failure on the behavior when uh, the heart is, um, at the end of the day, the Bible tells us that where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Now I recognize that is in the context of treasure, uh, it seems monetary, but I think your treasure can be a lot of other things as well. And so I, I really think that what Paul is getting at in the context of Romans 14, that we can probably go other places, but is that, man, your heart is what God's after. And then when your heart is in the right place, uh, that then begins to chart the trajectory of your steps in your life that begin to change your behavior. Yeah? Okay. All right. You don't have to clap. It's okay. So um, verse 15, let's go here. Because I really, we need to get to the, the crux of the whole thing uh, before we leave. And what time is my time up, by the way? Because I, I don't have a timer over here. Eight o'clock, 8.30 you said? Okay, great. Uh, I'm just kidding, eight o'clock. Uh, verse 15, Paul says, for if, I, I think you should just circle that word if. I, I love those kinds of qualifiers there. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, a.k.a., gray issue, if your brother is grieved by you attending an R-rated movie, by you drinking booze, by you, insert gray thing. You with me? Okay. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. This is going to take some serious maturity here to have this kind of conversation right now. And for us, um, we are to deal with these differences that we have with one another. Varying opinions about things, uh, Bible translations, uh, uh, you know, uh, what we eat. That's the context, what Paul's talking about, what day of the week is the most significant. Uh, to, uh, uh, to astrology, to movies, to yoga, to drinking, to tattoos, to music, to dancing, to gambling, to all of these things. Like, listen, 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 listen. Paul is, is, is getting at that, that we are to deal with these differences within the context of love. We're to deal with how we disagree with one another within the understanding that you're a brother and you're a sister and we're family and God's desire for you and for me as a church and as a family is to be one. In one of his last recorded prayers in all of the Bible, Jesus says to, uh, uh, for the disciples but for the world that he desires for us to be one. That's what he wants. And so we got to get along with this and it's all done within this context of love. Now this word love is super important because this word tells us what to do. This word uh, tells us what to do whether we're mature and we've been in the faith for 30 years or we're new uh, to Christianity. This word tells us how to handle these differences in our journey towards becoming more like Christ. This word for love is agape. So what does the word agape mean? And if you're pulling up your phone and you're Googling this, you don't get to Google cheat, okay? So give me like what you have heard or what you believe or what you've studied, what agape is. We've got a couple here. Unconditional love, that's great. If you, don't, if you just wanna blurt it out, blurt it out. God's love. God's love. I think, isn't agapeo is God's love and agape is like the love of family? Correct. There's like phylos or there's, I don't know. Sorry, I'm not trying to say No, 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 <laughs> you're, do, you're, you're doing it, but man. Yeah, I know agape is family-oriented love and then agapeo is like the love of God and there's like no way to comprehend like that extent of love. Correct, he just explained it. That's what it is. <laughs> there, there are feelings of what we're feeling 
the love of the Father, unconditional love, which is a piece of this. Uh, but th th those are some things that we feel. But let me, let me, if you like to write notes, you can jot a couple of these things down. Or if you like to write them in the margin of your Bible, I would highly suggest that. Circle the word love, draw an arrow, and jot these things down. Uh, and these are not original to me. These are um, guys who know Greek. And so it's a strong regard for a person and they're good. Think about that. Agape love is a strong regard, family relationship, strong regard with one another, and it's for their good. Uh, one guy said that agape does no harm and omits evil. Omits no good, sorry. Uh, agape does no harm to a brother or sister and omits no good. Can you think about the pragma, uh, practical implications of that for five seconds? Does no harm. and omits no good. So every time you think something good about your wife or your husband or your kids, it would be like, it, I don't wanna say it would be sin, but it wouldn't be right to not express that. He goes on, agape, this is, the, this is what I really want to drill down on. Agape is especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another's behalf. It's willingly laying down your, check it, you with me? This is awesome. It is willingly laying down your freedom, your freedoms, and you forfeit something that maybe you're not convicted about. I got you boys. Uh, something that you're not convicted about out of love, you let it go because you don't want to cause your brother or your sister any harm. Anything that could cause irreparable damage in their relationship with Jesus, you who are strong today to walk in the love that Paul is saying. How do we deal with these disagreements? We choose to walk in the kind of love where we forfeit what we want for the greater progress of their relationship with God and for God himself. God honors you laying down your freedom for your brother or your sister if it causes them to stumble. You with me on that? Yes, sir. I, I, I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 8. Mm. This, is, this is agape, it says, uh, Above all, keep fervent in love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And the Greek word is agape. Yeah. And so, so the characteristic of agape is you, the way that you look at people, even though they're sinners, you know that they're a work in progress. And even if you're fighting with your brother over something, because you love them, you overlook it. Yeah, that's right. That's great. Can you uh, just indulge me for a moment and turn to John 15 for me really quick? I need you to see a couple of things right here uh, about love because I, I need you to be convinced of this as our brother just said that love covers a multitude of sins. It covers those, you know, you know man, I just love that guy. You know, I mean, if we, it's, we're loving him into maturity. We're loving her into maturity. You're showing people how to get along with one another in the struggle of being in community with people, because let's just face it, being in community with people is extremely messy. So Jesus, in John 15, verse 12, are you there? John 15, verse 12, this is what Jesus says, this is my, what's the word? Amen. Say it again. Amen. I find it so awesome that Jesus is so clear right there. He didn't do, like, uh, uh, this is my new suggestion. This is my new idea that you could kind of think about. No, he's very direct and very clear. This is my commandment. Now, he's not mad, but he's just clear. His tone isn't angry. His tone is more, he's just clear. This is my commandment that you, what? Ah, oh, isn't that sweet? Love one another. Circle the word as. That you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is saying that your command is to be like me. As I have loved you, then you are to love people just like that. Jesus, got any suggestions? Matter of fact, I do. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life 
for his friends or his brothers. You wanna know what love is? Is laying down your life for him. It's willingly forfeiting your freedom for their growth. And a toddler doesn't do that, do they? Unless they're an exceptionally advanced toddler, then maybe they might. Back a couple chapters in John chapter 13, Jesus said this in verse 34, as I have loved you, you are to love who? Oh man, there it is again. Man, I thought we were off the hook. Love one another. Now check this. So Jesus is telling us, as I've loved you and how have I loved you? Well, Jesus has loved you and me even to the point of death on a cruel cross. That's some awesome love that he laid down his life for people who would take advantage of his relationship. He died for the people who ripped his beard out and put a crown of thorns on his face and tacked him up to a cross with nails and put a spear in his side like he died for them. He even loved them. So he says, as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, by what? By your love for one another, people will know, they'll understand, they'll grasp, they'll comprehend that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you know what the implications of this is? What, what, what John is getting at through, G, what Jesus is getting at that John recorded is that you and I, as we love, Ying Li, disagree at times on matters of opinion that are non-essential, there is a world watching you and watching me and watching the church and how we live in community with one another. And as you and I, younger and older in the faith, stronger and weaker in the faith, you and I, as we walk through these insanely hard and very personal matters uh, of gray area, as as we walk through those and if we do that within the context of love one another, guess what happens? We are putting on display the glory of God in our relationship. You and I, what we are doing is we are showing that there is absolutely zero reason for you and me to get along because we have different family backgrounds, we have different uh, uh, histories, we have differing levels of opinions on certain issues. You and I are at different spots on our journey following Christ, which means every opportunity for you and me to disagree. But when you and I willingly lay down our rights for love, for each other, for our progress as family, Family, a world looks at us and goes, there is no reason for them to get along. Why are they doing that? Well, let me tell you why we're doing that because we love God and he has changed our lives and I'm not who I used to be and I used to be given to this and given to that and I used to fall to this sin and I used to run with those people and do these types of things but through my growing relationship with Jesus I've been changed and these people have been along the journey with me and yes, we might disagree but they've been there to pick me up when my mom died. They were there to be with me uh, when my child was failing in school and we had no idea what to do. They were there when my teenage daughter made some crazy decisions and we had no idea where to turn or what to do. They were there, are they annoying? Sometimes they are but they are there with me, loving me through this. And it's an example that God changes people. It's an example that the gospel really works. So that's why we love. This is the crux of the whole thing, man. This is where it all hinges on. How do we deal with all of this? You know how we deal with it? We deal with it within the context of love. And this is not that mamby-pamby, mushy notebook business that Nicholas Sparks writes about. If I have to see another one of those movies, I'm gonna slap myself. It's not what it is. That's pithy feeling. This is the kind of love that changes everything. So what does this mean? Think about this in light of our study thinking about the matters, the, the gray matters of life. What does this mean in light of what we've studied? If love changes everything, what does this mean? What are the implications for us? 
It means that the most mature and the most loving thing to do in effort to remain unified with one another is to set aside our liberties, to set aside our freedoms and our rights for the weaker brother and the weaker sister. Because their relationship with Jesus, and this is hard for us, but their relationship with Jesus matters more to me than going to R-rated movies. Their relationship with God and their maturity and their relationship matters more to me than me getting to enjoy a beer every third Thursday. Their relationship with Jesus matters more to me than anything else. And so I will willingly forfeit my freedom so that they can progress and grow in their relationship with God. Paul tells us now in the latter part of verse 15, destroy, why would we choose to destroy one whom Christ died for? Why would we choose to willingly trip them up? Love is the key thing. It's not worth destroying somebody that Jesus died for. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. Love is that key identification marker for us as followers of Christ. Let me jump into verse 16 here. So, don't, uh, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. This is a, just a quick tidbit. Paul, this is kind of one of those preacher moments where he takes a little caveat here and he's talking to the outsiders going, hey, just because you see people disagreeing, get over it. Doesn't change the fact that Jesus saves. Doesn't change the fact that we are good. And that, that uh, uh, anyway, I don't have time to get there. But let me jump into this, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's saying it's not a matter of what you consume. It's about eternal matters, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Uh, The Holman translates it a better way, probably. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. And really, even a better word for the phrase serves Christ is the word slave. You and I, we are slaves of Christ. And I know that that is not a very popular term in the 21st century, but get over it. We are slaves of God, slaves that experience unbelievable freedom in that relationship between the master and his slave. We experience unbelievable liberty in that context of relationships, that relationship. And the Bible tells us that when we serve, when we are slaves of obedience to Christ in this way, it pleases the heart of God. Why does it please the heart of God? Because God is a father in heaven who looks at his children, who lay aside their rights and who, who, uh, who run after serving people. He looks at you and he looks at me when we do this in this context and his chest begins to bow and he begins to walk a strut around heaven and he get, begins to go, that's my boy and that's my girl. Why? Because they're beginning to look like Jesus. Jesus is the one who lays down his life for a brother. Jesus is the one who emptied himself and poured himself out on a cross. He didn't find himself to be equal to God, Philippians 2, but he emptied himself, came down from heaven and served you and served me and gave his life on a literally a criminal's cross for your freedom. And that is the example that we have. And when we do that and we empty ourselves We look like Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that is what your call and my call is in the body of Christ, an uphill climb of Mount Everest to serve people and ransom our lives, give them to people. Why? So they grow because people gave their lives for me. I had a cross-country coach named John Roosh who did this, that. He gave his life to me. He laid down his life for me. He, he served me in a way that looked like Jesus. I have another guy named Matthew James who's a youth pastor and the ch- the, of the church that belonged to the private school I went to in high school. And he served me tirelessly because I was an annoying teenage boy. 
but he served me and he looked like Jesus and God was proud of Matthew when he did that and God is proud of you when you do that. The Bible tells us that we're approved by men, which is a horrible word, approved by men, because we talked about that whole behavior thing, right? And how behavior makes us feel like we're approved by people. But the word approved is better translated as genuine. People look at you and me and they go, they're the real deal, man. They're the real deal. So my time is almost gone and I got to say a couple more things because I have to. Verse 19, I have to hit this. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual building up. He's talking about the context of love and so when we deal with these gray areas, Paul is telling us to pursue. That word means chase. It brings the idea of when people persecute people, like Paul persecuted Christians in the early church, he chased after them with intent to destroy. In the same way, I know it's kind of a weird way to think about it, but flip it in your mind. And what Paul is telling you and me is he's saying, let us chase like somebody who would go persecute somebody. Let us go after with a white knuckled grip, peace or harmony in relationships with people that we live life with. He later says in chapter 15 to pursue harmony with one another. And for mutual upbuilding or building up. Relationships are like an unfinished building. That's the word picture here. And that you and I, by our love and our encouragement and our service to them as they're maturing in their faith, it's like laying brick by brick by brick, completing a relational building together, making something whole. So... Years ago, let me close with this and we'll be done. Because you basically, Paul repeats himself and I don't wanna repeat myself anymore. So years ago, there was a comic strip, Peanuts, does anybody read that? And uh, Charlie Brown was all sprawled out in the living room watching TV. And as that was happening, Lucy bursts in on the scene and uh, she says, hey, change that channel, let's change it. And Charlie, with his... You know, the way he is, his timid, mild-mannered, kind of just straight-laced but not rude. Lucy, what gives you the authority to make me change the channel? (laughs) She grabs her fist and puts it in front of his nose and says, these five fingers give me the authority to tell you to change the channel. So as he walks out, he's looking at his and he looks at his hands and the channel's changed and he goes, we gotta get organized like that. (laughs) And I find that interesting that instead of passing judgment on people, what Jesus is interested in in these matters of disagreement, he is less interested in force and brutality, but in lovingly picking up your brother and sister with a helping hand versus a condemning backhand. And what God desires for you and for me, we are not the Holy Spirit police. And yes, we are called with one another to be in community together. And when we see someone stumbling, the Bible tells us very clearly to go talk to them about that. But that is not done within the context of passing judgment on one another. That is done within the context of what? Love. And what you will soon learn is as you mature in faith, what begins to happen is that you and I get off of our high horse and humble ourselves like Jesus did and we get low and lower and lower and lower and lower because we soon find out that the kind of man and the kind of woman that God uses in a very impactful way is not a man who is proud and arrogant and rude and looking down at his nose and pointing out all the wrongs that people have in their lives. God wants to use the man and the woman in this life for his kingdom that's willing to lay down their lives for their brother and their sister. That doesn't look at somebody and say, why aren't you where I'm at? The reality is, as many of us aren't where we want to be. But praise God, we aren't where we were. So may we put that in our minds as we read through Romans 14 and go, wait a minute here, this whole thing is not just about 
let's not eat meat or let's eat meat or let's, we've got to go to church on Sunday. We've got to do this. We've got to, let's deal with those issues with one another that we disagree on and we have freedom to disagree on within the context of love. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this great group of people. God, I'm so glad that you called me and my family here to this church. And we've got such a great opportunity to reach so many people for Jesus. And I'm so fired up to see this many people that are excited to hear somebody talk about the Bible and get greater understanding for an hour. And so God, may we take the knowledge that you have brought to light in us today and may you not cause that, may we not cause that to puff up our arrogance that look what we know, but may that cause a deep level of humility and a deep level of surrender to our King. And may it deepen our worship because we are eternally grateful that you emptied yourself, your son, for us so that we would have liberty and freedom. God, thank you for this day. God, may we leave this place applying this truth of your word in Christ's name, amen. Thank you guys so much for letting me share with you tonight.